after uh, Eugene announced that I'm going to let you know how much we've raised this morning. Sorry, my voice is I'm a little under the weather. Uh, we raised four four thousand four hundred sixty-two dollars and fifty cents this morning. That awesome. And uh, just as Pastor Eugene said, we have an offering envelope and also an Operation Blessing Generosity card on your table. You might not have had an opportunity to give this morning. We want to give you the opportunity here today, and in fact, tonight, right now. Uh, our goal is $6,000. We have all the money we need. It's just still in your pockets. So, and, uh, and so, let it go. I love it, Bruce. Bruce, you come on notice. And two different ways you can give tonight. You can, you can actually give your offering tonight in the offering envelope. We spelled million, M-I-L-L-I-O-N. And uh, you give it safe and secure there. Many of you know about that. You can give tonight in that way. Or if you're going to give this week. We need to know how much you're pledging to give. Like I said, like Pastor said this morning, we're going to be buying all of this like tomorrow. And we want to be good stewards of what God's given us. And so um, on the back of this card, if you're not ready to give tonight, but you say, hey, count me in for X amount of dollars, uh, please, please uh, fill that out. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the, give you the next minute or two. You can, uh, you can look this card over. You can also look this offering envelope over. And then I'll come back. Once you fill that out, there's a... Uh, there's a corporate they, they must send it back right to you, and then under uh, the table. But you're here tonight. There's that. Uh, so like honored. We are really, really bag. honored that uh, you're with <laughs> There you go. And uh, you should have one of these bags on your table. Kids, you can drop it right in there as you leave tonight. So if we go ahead and play, DJ, go ahead and play for a minute. Mark and I were talking. We're both from Pennsylvania, so we grew up on the west side of the state, and I grew up on a dairy farm in northeastern Pennsylvania. So. From the dairy farm to the Ritz Carlton. It was it was a it was a, a long tumultuous no, but uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's all, it's all transferable and, and uh, a great. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, pass up that upbringing. Uh, it was a, a great way of living. Um, but I uh, I've been with Ritz Carlton for 23 years. I uh, I grew up in uh, in Pennsylvania and then moved to Savannah, Georgia, when I was all of 15 and, and learned to eat grits for the first time. There and you go. Come on. For those of you who ever moved from the north down south and. Uh, have someone uh, remind you you don't put syrup or, or, or sweetener on uh, on grits. It's not cream of wheat. So <laughs> I had that education uh, and uh, uh, spent three great years in Savannah and then went to University of Georgia. And uh, after that, uh, uh, spent some time in the military and then joined uh, joined Ritz-Carlton. Uh, met my wife um, after uh, six years in Amelia Island. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia and uh, met, uh, met my wife, who's been my wife for now 15 years. And... Uh, and Amazing that she actually married me, and then one month later I moved her to Cleveland, Ohio. And she's still married to me. She's still married. Uh, Did you tell her? Uh, you just married. Oh, hey, by the way, we're going to Ohio, or what? Well, <laughs> almost. Oh boy. It depends who you ask. If you ask her, she'll tell you one thing. Yes, she did know. Uh, she had the chance to back out. She didn't. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we've moved around uh, many different locations throughout the United States and throughout the world and, and uh, been uh, the great fortune to work at uh, 22 properties uh, internationally wow. with Ritz-Carlton as well, helping to open up those properties and have three great kids and two of them, have been, uh, two of them were born here in Central Florida. Uh, one is 10, his name is Jackson, and my 8-year-old is uh, Colin. They were both born in uh, uh, downtown Orlando at uh, Arnold Palmer Hospital. And then my... Uh, 
uh, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, for about four and a half years before coming back here. And I, my fifth, or my youngest son, my five-year-old uh, Hudson, was born there. So we moved back here about three years ago. And uh, as I was telling you, I, my my time, probably like many of you, I spend time at the baseball field and uh, religion school, and and it just the the normal uh, happenstance of of, of having kids in life, and um, happen to have. Uh, a job where I get to go to, to, to work and be with my friends as well as create excellence. So uh, everything else just takes care of itself. That's excellent. Tell me a little bit about how you got started in the hospitality industry. Uh, well, uh, well, I was uh, 14 years old in Savannah, and uh, like most young men, realized that uh, I needed spending money. And uh, uh, there was a, a restaurant called William's Seafood, which was about a mile and a half from my house in Savannah. And this crusty old uh, guy named uh, Mike Groover, uh, managed it. He was a shrimp boat captain, and uh, by by morning, and then in the afternoon, in the evening, uh, he was uh, he ran a restaurant called William Seafood. He actually has a very famous wife, famous or infamous, depending upon who you talk to. Yeah, well, Paula, today, Paula today. Dean, Paula Dean, is his, uh, is his wife. Um, I, she was just a, a normal, average, you know, lady that ran another restaurant. Uh, but anyway, he paid us two bucks an hour and all the fried shrimp flounder <laughs> clams that we could eat and we actually we wanted the money but uh the uh, the seafood the fried seafood was definitely a perk and uh then it has got the itch for the hospitality business being in the restaurants and uh worked in a, a hotel my junior and senior of of high school and um was cooking and washing dishes and and working in the storeroom and then i went uh, went off to college and um just continued to do the same thing and uh, i worked for uh, my I think it was my end of my junior year. I had a chance to, to listen to the president of our company speak, and uh, I, I was telling a few uh, yeah. pastor and a few others that uh, I went to a recruiting fair at, at, at my college, and, and I, I happened to see the sharpest dressed gentleman and lady in the room, and I went up to them, and I was like, they're really dressed pretty impressively. And that was my motivation for talking. And then I was like, oh, what is this Ritz Carlton thing? So they gave me a card and said, hey, come and speak to, uh, come and listen to the president of our company speak. And he was a short German man, but full of fire and intensity and passion for what he did. And, and I was telling uh, Pastor Smith and a few others that lit, lit, going to this presentation, it was for college kids and some business leaders, and uh, totally old school, but he would sit and call people out and say, look at why, why aren't you looking at me? Pay attention to me. I have an important message. So all of us were scared. We were there. We don't even work for this gentleman, and we were scared stiff. Uh, but I, I said, look, if I'm going to be in this business, I want to work for him because I know he's going to push whoever he works with, to do better, to strive for excellence. Uh, and if I'm going to be in this business, I want to work for someone like that. So I had, a, um, I, I had, uh, I had my, my clear mission, and my mission was to work for Ritz-Carlton. At the time, I was only 12, and I sent my resume and, and, and called and was persistent and hung out for four hours in the vice president of uh, human resources office in Atlanta, um, and I only saw him for three minutes. And, um, but anyway, got the job in Emilion, Florida. Wow. And that's where it started. As a, I was a busboy. My parents asked me four years of college, um, and you're going to be a busboy. Mom, Dad, I had a plan. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. I had no plan. But uh, I really thought being in a really fancy place was awesome, and I liked the people I was working with, and uh, the rest just. It's a great feeling, isn't it, to work in a really high-end place and just go on there and a place that people view and have a great value of excellence. Kind of, kind of even raises your own standard, doesn't it, in your own personal life? Absolutely. Well, I think that whatever environment you're in, I think you you gravitate in the environment you're in. If you're in a, a, a supportive and engaging and warm and friendly environment, 
you tend to you, know, you tend to take on that persona. If you're yes, in sir. a hostile environment that's not friendly, you tend to take on that persona. Sure. So I liked the people I was working with, and we had a great time, and, and we pushed each other, but it was a great feeling. Tell me uh, maybe uh, the funnest job that you've had, funnest job that you've had in the hospitality industry, funnest job. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I, I would say it probably was uh, I was bartending, and uh, I'm sure all of us who have anyone who's ever been a bartender, there's always some good stories. But um, <laughs> I was a bartender in, in the same Ritz Carlton in Amelia Island, and uh, um, we had uh, Tom Cruise, and I was one of his. One of his times, he had just uh, a movie had come. I don't know what, which one it was, but he was at the hotel by himself, which by just by talking about that was kind of strange. But every night he would sit at the bar, and um, and um, you know he'd have his hat on and sunglasses at night, and you know didn't draw attention to himself at all. Well, you know, <laughs> really, you're doing a great job, and everyone's oh, that's Tom Cruise, that's Tom Cruise. <laughs> Um, but, I, I, you know, it was just that. It was that every guest had their own story. Every guest had a, you know, their own character. And I just thought it was neat. And that was just kind of what kind of helped just the bug See, got in me. And, and I really just had a great time. And, you know, it, you know whether it's celebrities or C-level executives and, and meeting individuals that are, you know, you know, talk about Jim Collins and having him speak at a, one of the meetings that was at the hotel, cool. listening to people like that talk. And uh, it's just fascinating. You've been around some world-class people. It's yeah, really amazing. Very cool. Very cool. What passion? Tell me something you're really passionate about in your industry. What is something that really gets you fired up? You know, I think as in anything, it's it's all about the people. And whatever organization you're in, if you you surround yourself with the best people that have the same passion and same energy, certainly I don't want a bunch of people that are exactly like myself because we'd be a disaster if everyone was like me. but I, I think finding the finding a talent, and, and I'm very passionate for making sure that it's about really the development of individuals and uh, seeking out individuals. And I, I have, you know, I, we all use, you know, many of us use LinkedIn and even Facebook. And I use that as That's a. That's how I found you. I yeah. found you through LinkedIn. How so, about that? There you go. And, it, and it's the same. And I've I've selected, ladies and gentlemen, and I've hired an executive chef, and I've uh, hired a restaurant manager, and assistant rooms exec. By LinkedIn and Facebook, just keeping track of people. I might not, I, we may not talk much more than every six or seven months, but you know, I know the individuals that I want to surround myself with. And so, to me, it's about the people, and because uh, that's what brings a hotel or a restaurant or any hospitality, any business life. It's all about the people. All about the people. Absolutely, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you use that phrase. Tell us about that phrase. Tell us about what it means to you personally. Tell us what it means to your your corporate culture. Well, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen is our motto. We have five gold standards, and that's one of them. Where it comes from is uh, the same gentleman, Mr. Hort Schultze, uh, when he was a 14-year-old gentleman, his parents took him from a small town in Vinigan, or in Germany called Vinigan, which is on the Mosul River. They took him to do his, his apprenticeship at a two-star Michelin restaurant in London. And uh, so he, he ends up in, in the restaurant and, and with a bunch of other apprentices. And basically, apprentice was a busboy and dishwasher. And basically, you did whatever you needed to do to make the restaurant work. And this, this intimidating figure was standing in front of, them, in front of him and, and was talking about, you know, these guests are very important. Take good care of them. Treat with them with respect. And so he's mortified. He was mortified of the maitre d'. He was mortified of the servers. He was mortified of the guests. And who were these people? But after a couple of weeks, he noticed that it was a mutual respect. That the guests respected the maitre d' and the maitre d' likewise, and the servers and the head waiters and so on respected each other. 
So several years later, he went to hotel school and he had a management class and he titled uh, a paper called We Are Ladies and Gentlemen Serving Ladies and Gentlemen. And what it get, the core of it is, look, in my business, we're not servants. We're service professionals. We're not waiters and waitresses and, and bellhops and housekeepers. We're service professionals. And I tell my ladies and gentlemen all the time, you're the top 1% of the service professionals in the world. Now, we are ladies it. and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen also speaks to respect and dignity. I tell my ladies and gentlemen in orientation, I'm the first person they meet when they join our organization. I spend two hours with them, and I say, look. You spend two hours? Absolutely. And, wow. I, and I say, look, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm the general manager of the hotel, and I'm a, an important person, but so are you. Every single one of us is equally important. We all happen to have different jobs, but every one of us is equally important doesn't matter. We don't act different in the heart of the house. I say good morning, good afternoon, good evening. How are you? How's your family? Uh, how's your day? Anything I can help you with? In the heart of the house, just like the front of the house, because you can't act different in different areas of the hotel. Because wow. you can't turn it on and turn it off. Either you're genuine and you're sincere and you That's care excellent. about others excellent. all the time, or you don't. You start preaching here, man. Come on. <laughs> can I get an amen? All right. That is excellent. How many and how many employees at the Ritz Carlton here in Orlando? There's about a thousand. A thousand. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Wow, a thousand, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so it's few. So equal value as humans, the dignity of the human being, of the individual, but different roles and responsibilities. Yeah, it's it's about respect and dignity, and, and it defines our relationship. It defines our relationship with with each other. It defines our relationship with our guests. We're going to treat them with respect and dignity. Um, and we're going to kill you with kindness. And I know one of the questions you probably ask me is, what's the toughest customer you've ever dealt with? Well, the great thing is 99% of my customers are fantastic human beings. There's always the 1%. And that's the piece that I like because that's that 1% that I'm going to do everything I can to win you over. Now, I might not, but I'm going to try. And then also defines a relationship. And I tell my ladies and gentlemen that that 1% of the 1%, is usually involving alcohol at 1 yeah. o'clock in the morning in one of our bars. <laughs> so that's when loss prevention, the managers get involved. Yeah. We're here to help you so you don't have to get in that situation. We're here to, we're here to help you take your next yes. step. Yes. <laughs> out, out of Ritz-Carlton. Help you back to your room or wherever it is. Uh, that's great. You, you mentioned the, uh, the gold standard. Uh, that is an industry-wide book. I mean, that book, the gold standard, isn't just for Ritz-Carlton. It, uh, it is actually one of the top business books and the culture of leadership and the leadership culture of America today. Talk to us a little about those standards, those five core values that you guys have. Well, when uh, when our company started, the Ritz-Carlton name is it's it's uh, 113, 114 years old. It's 1889 when the Ritz in Paris opened. But in 1983, 1982, a real estate developer out of Atlanta, Georgia, named Bill Johnson, uh, was had two hotels he wanted to build his luxury hotel he, was, he owned waffle house that's how he made his money so ritz carlton today came from waffle house money just so you <laughs> little in now you know it, it don't it's green baby it spins yeah. <laughs> uh, so he put together a team of about six to ten uh, ladies and gentlemen from many different backgrounds and put them in a small cubicle in atlanta georgia and said create the finest hotel company in the world and these, they put flip charts of this is what we're going to do, and we want to do this, 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 and this. And they stepped back and said, if we do all this, we'll be the greatest hotel company in the world. Well, they opened our first, we had the Ritz-Carlton Boston, and then we opened the Ritz-Carlton Buckhead, the Ritz-Carlton Atlanta, and the Ritz-Carlton Laguna Niguel. And then shortly thereafter, 
the, um, um, by the way, putting on the Ritz, that song, when they first started in 1983, that song, very fortuitous, came, it was on the top of the charts. We had nothing to do with that. Wow. We didn't have any. We didn't. We didn't want any. So when we hear, we're like, oh, that's kind of strange because we don't ever refer to ourselves as Ritz. We refer to ourselves as Ritz Carlton. Um, so the gold standards. A couple of years later, uh, we were recognized as the best hotel company in the world. So we kind of the, the the founding fathers, if you will, took a step back and said, boy, we better put this all down in writing because what happens if this takes really takes off and we end up with 84 hotels, almost 100 hotels that Ritz-Carlton has now, how are we going to keep this consistency? So they put mm. our five gold standards, and we have our credo, which is our, in, in Latin means I believe, uh, and uh, that is our pledge to our guest. We have our employee promise, which is our pledge to each other. We have our motto, which we just talked about. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. We have a three steps of service, and then we have our service values. And really what it is, it's that, that document that says, if you have any questions whatsoever, refer to the document. 95% of your success is going to be about bringing this to life. Because in my organization, it's, it's, it's non-negotiable. We don't draft anyone to come to our organization. Either you, if you want to be part of our organization and who we are, you have to, you have to believe and you have, to, uh, you have to bring the gold standards to life. And quite honestly, everything that's in our gold standards, I, I quite frankly think it's more, a little bit like the golden rule. It's, it goes back to what probably your mother, your father, your grandparents taught you when you were growing up. Treat people with respect. Serve others, be gracious, be humble, um, you know, be quick about it. All of these things are so transferable mm-hmm. in our gold standards. We just craft it in a way to say, look, and we talk about it every single day with our ladies and gentlemen about these gold standards. We don't wow. just put it on a piece of paper, put it up on a wall, and then 365 days later we go over it again. We go over it every single day. Every day. Every day. And we give examples. We give examples of how we bring this stuff to life because I think when you can tell a story, Telling a story is so much more powerful than to say, hey, read this, this little card that I have. This is our credo yeah. card. Reading that, well, that's part of it. But I gotta, how do you bring it to life? What is this here? This is the credo card. That's huh? the credo card. Oh, that's cool. So every employee has this? Everyone. Ta- if you see every lady and gentleman. Every lady yeah, every and gentleman. gentleman. If you see one, please ask for the credo card. Wow, very cool. So this is how, then, you create this culture. You have 80... How many Ritz Carlton's around the world now? It was 84 now. It was 84. Now, this has been a transition because you were purchased... The Ritz-Carlton was purchased by the Marriott Corporation in 1997. Talk about that transition from being a a privately owned Ritz-Carlton to being taken over by a corporate entity like the Marriott. What was that? And you were working there at the time, so what was that transition like? How did that impact you? Well, as a Ritz-Carlton, we were dead broke. Um, We had had something of the tune of 28, 29 uh, properties at the time. And as most real estate developers did, he went into very high-rent locations, Laguna Niguel, California, Naples, Florida, San Francisco, California, New York City, Amelia, Florida, and he bought very expensive properties, put, built very expensive hotels, and uh, to build a brand, the philosophy was about you, you, can't, you, you can't compromise. You need to make sure everything is over the top and lavish. Well, that's great, but you still have to pay the checks and you start to pay the bills and, and pay the ladies and gentlemen and so on. And that got a little tough. Well, the great thing about a publicly traded company is they had deep pockets. And Merritt International um, has, uh, has been in the business for 85 years, I believe it is. And um, they certainly, as a publicly traded company, had, had those deep pockets that has helped Ritz-Carlton grow by... Actually, actually, Merritt International has owned Ritz-Carlton longer than we were privately held. So um, they've actually uh, not only... 
uh, been a saving grace. They've protected our brand. I think they learned a little bit when they bought Renaissance hotels and said, look, you know, in that model, Marriott moved in, purchased Renaissance, said, We're, you're now a Renaissance owned by Marriott, and you do what, you know, you do what we do. And, you know, who moved my cheese? If everyone's ever read, you know, the number one business book in the world knows it usually doesn't work. No. And there's a lot of passion and pride around your own brand. Well, there certainly is a lot of passion and pride around Ritz-Carlton. So obviously there's many people within Ritz-Carlton that said, hey, don't move my cheese, don't change anything. And look, you know, change is something that's going to happen. Right. And either you, you, know, you get on board. I heard someone say the other day that, you know, you're either, uh, you're either a, you're a, whether you're a, a player, um, you're a tourist, uh, or you're a prisoner. And, uh, you know, if you want to be a player, you can play. But if you want to be a prisoner, you can be a prisoner. And all of us can sit back and say, look at what they are doing wow. today. Well, that's not a, that's not a helpful thing. Uh, or you can be a, a, a tourist and yeah, sit so and watch everybody victim, else. Right? Yeah, don't, you know, so I think that was tough. And, mm-hmm. and as many of us who work for businesses or own our own businesses and so on, change is inevitable and it's how you approach it. And obviously being respectful of everyone because everyone deals with it a little bit different. So uh, I think at the end of the day, it's been a remarkable relationship and they continue to uh, be great partners and great, um, you know, great leaders for us. That's great. How, you mentioned uh, change is inevitable. Talk to me about how do you help people make change? How do you make the ladies and gentlemen in your organization make change within their job description or, or their sphere or their area of workplace? Well, it, it, it's challenging. And I have to admit, I'm one of those individuals that moving my cheese gets emotional for me, too. So um, I, I don't walk in and say everything is, is, is no problem. Uh, I'm probably one of the culprits. But I... You know, I think what it is, it's 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 really understanding the the internet, the the, the personalities of everyone, and, and what is what are they vested? What are their concerns? What are they what do they worry about? What do they wake up in the middle of the night going, oh my gosh, how how can I make it be as 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 um, as approachable as possible? But also, my message is, look, if there's a decision that an organization is going to make. I have to champion that message. And to me, I can't be Debbie Downer and saying, yeah, but we're going to do this because they said to do it. That's never healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to be that individual that is, look, it's the right, me- it's the right thing to do. Uh, and if I don't agree with it, I'll go to my boss and their bosses and so on. We have that type of relationship where we can share our concerns. And just like with anything, it's not my name in the building. So I, I'm an employee, just like everyone else, and um, I'll share my concerns. And if not, I... If I'm on the bus, I'm going to do what I can to make sure that we do the right thing and taking care of our ladies and gentlemen. And we really have three stakeholders. We have our guests, we have our ladies and gentlemen, and we have our owners. And obviously, it really all starts with our ladies and gentlemen. If our ladies and gentlemen are engaged and happy, everything else takes care of itself. Because then you have happy guests, and then you have happy owners, because all our guests leave broke, and it's fantastic. (laughs) Just kidding. One of your core values um, in the book, The Gold Standard, one of your core values, it's not about me. It's not about me. Talk Talk to us about what that means at the Ritz-Carlton. It's not about me. Well, you know, I think in, in, in our business, it's really about the, the service of others. And I'm not in the hotel business. I don't sell beds for a living. I sell experiences and memories. So if you come with a family to a hotel and you're on vacation, you have a different set of expectations than maybe a husband and wife celebrating a special occasion or a business person who's there on business. My role and my ladies and gentlemen's role is about crafting that experience for you. And you may not always walk in with a billboard saying it's my 50th anniversary. We have to do some research on that and try to find out because it's really about making sure every guest leaves. And if they're going to spend time with us and they're going to spend their hard-earned money with us, 
I'm going to do everything I can to leave, make you leave and go. I don't know what it was, but that was the most remarkable experience I've ever had. That's tough because I have 160,000 room nights on an annual basis that I sell. Wow. So that's 160,000 unique, memorable experiences I have to create. What's your occupancy rate out here? Uh, it is uh, 74%. 74%. Yes, it is the busiest Ritz-Carlton in the hotel company. Well, I mean, it's the world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a busy place, Orlando. but it's also fun. So wow. it doesn't matter whether it's small or, or, or large. Um, so, um, One of your core values is creating the wow factor. And uh, what does that mean to you? What does the wow factor mean at the Ritz-Carlton? What does it mean to the guests that are coming in? What does the wow factor mean to one of the ladies and gentlemen? Well, I think the, uh, you know, I tell you a story. So uh, a couple of years ago, we had a, any of you heard of Expedia? You book on Expedia, and, and you really give a couple of pieces of information. You give when you check in, when you check out, what type of room you want, and your name. Well, we had a, a couple that was coming in. They were checking into the hotel, and it was our 50th anniversary, and they had made a reservation through Expedia. 50-year anniversary is a pretty big deal. And that's one of those things. We don't ever want to mess up special occasions. So they arrive at the hotel, and the wife is at the front desk, and she is checking in, and the husband is talking about he and his bride are celebrating their 50th, and he's got this really thick Boston accent. And one of our bellmen is from Boston, so, of course, they start up a conversation. Well, Devin, who is our front desk agent, stalls them for a few minutes and gives them some champagne and some ashibori towels, which are little chilled towels. Uh, it was warm outside. And he moves some things around. He puts, finds a, an executive suite to put them in and has his colleagues in room dining, some, some champagne flowers and some sweets to the room, a little happy 50th anniversary. So we stall them for about 10, 15 minutes and then take them up to their guest room. Uh, enough said, right? Most people would say, that's really cool that you did that. Uh, but we actually, he, Devin took a few minutes extra, and he actually went behind the front desk, and he went on the computer. And what he was trying to find is a significant historical fact that happened on the day they got married. And was actually able to find the front page of the, Boston, the archives of the Boston Globe. And was actually able to print out the front page of the Boston Globe on the wow. day they got married, put in a picture no frame, way. and put it up, sent it up wow. to the room with a, a note card, a happy anniversary from about 50 of our ladies and gentlemen. The next morning, uh, she was in the front of the hotel, and she had this picture frame. And I didn't know what happened, and she was in tears. So at first, I'm like, oh, my gosh, did we just screw up a 50th anniversary? <laughs> <laughs> but she was walking around simply saying, look at what they did for me. And the point was, where do you think, do you think she remembers what room they were in? Do you no. think they remember what kind of champagne no. or flowers or sweets we delivered? No. no. But where do you think that picture frame is? It's yeah. somewhere in their home. And they may not refer to the Ritz-Carlton, but they refer to that memory. And that's the wow factor. How do, and I can keep going on with stories, but I think a story tells a lot, uh, is a little bit more powerful than just... So your ladies and gentlemen, they, that's ingrained in your culture, creating the wow, wow factor, exceeding expectations of what a person coming in, a guest would experience in, that, in one of your... And states. we celebrate it. Every, every week we recognize a wow of the week, and then every month, and it's become this kind of, you know, kind of cult following every week. And it that, doesn't become cheesy to the other ladies. No, no, no. no. Okay. We actually we have out money. We recognize oh, yeah, it's that's a small good. amount that of works. money. We like that. Money works. We like that, yeah. But you know what the cool thing is? Every month we, re and we don't give money for this, but we recognize the wow of the month, and we have this, this seven-foot by four-foot poster with a huge picture of the ladies and gentlemen with their story underneath it, and we, we post it in the heart of the house. So right now we have about 15 of these posters. And what happens is it creates this environment where all the ladies and gentlemen want to have that wow of the month. So what, what we're doing here is we're creating that culture of go out. And I, I have, a, a, have $2,000. Every lady and gentleman has $2,000 per guest or per, per opportunity to solve a problem. Say, or to make a say that one more time. 
per guest per guests wow to make their stay more enjoyable or to solve a problem or an opportunity now if we burn their toast it doesn't mean go out and give them two thousand dollars most of you would just like to have uh, have the toast cooked properly <laughs> But what it says is, look, I trust you. I'm not there with you because I think all of us from a service standpoint, whenever you hear someone say, let me get my supervisor or let me get my manager, because that means you have to tell your story over again. And you get a little bit more agitated every time you tell the story over. So I don't want my ladies and gentlemen, I, the guest don't, doesn't care what your title is. They don't care who you are in no. the organization. Make my stay more enjoyable or solve my problem. And that's the message. It's not about the $2,000. $2,000 just makes everybody go, oh, my God, how do you run your business? Well, the, the, the reality is most of our ladies and gentlemen don't give out $2,000. Uh, they they, they solve pretty severe. Oh, it would be huge. Usually it gets to my office and it's $2,000, unfortunately. Um, sure. But I, wanted, I, wanted, I don't want it to get to me because I want my ladies and gentlemen to feel they can solve the problem. And it's a huge leap of faith because most organizations, wait, 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 wait a minute, you mean to tell me? And I've had ladies and gentlemen who've joined the organization, my director of finance, for example, he's like, what do you mean, $2,000? Are you, are you sure we really should do this? Look, it's the right way to do business because our ladies and gentlemen don't give that amount of money, but it's the message that sends, I trust you, please go out there wow. and make the right decision for our guests. That's awesome. That's really, really excellent. Exceeding expectations. That's a great, great core value, creating that wow factor and that lasting impression. Demographics are changing in America, uh, shifting younger. It's huge. Largest, my son told me, largest uh, population block in America today is Gen Xers, Millennials. Largest, largest population group in America. Tell me how you guys shift your culture. Rich Carlton, just the name itself, kind of, you know, in the mind of most people, is seeing more of an older maybe crowd, an older generation. How do you guys reach down to the next generation? I know you all thought I was going to come in a tuxedo tonight, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. No? Well, we work really hard at it because, uh, you know, you're right. There is a perception that Ritz-Carlton is your grandfather's Oldsmobile and, or Cadillac or whatever it is. Um, so we, we've said about 10 years ago saying we're going to dust off a lion and crown, and we do several things. I mean, some of it is the architecture of our hotels. Uh, we don't typically put hunting dogs and dead presidents in our hotels anymore. We, <laughs> it's more relevant architecture and design. And if you're at a beach property, we don't put a fireplace blocking the view of, of the beach. Um, so some of it, a lot of it is the, is the architecture and design, but also the technology is a huge piece. Um, and, and obviously the, the amenities and where the locations that we go to. At the end of the day, service is service. And what we find is, is, is a generational play that you may have gone to Ritz-Carlton's with your parents or your grandparents, and you, you keep coming back because of the memories. But we spend a lot of time talking with, uh, with, with looking at um, technology. We look at architecture and design. Uh, we look at service deliverables. And I think and it's not so much just generationally speaking as well. Um, it, it, it's... Uh, you know, all of us, speed of, of, of getting information, whether it's texting or emails, or no one leaves a voicemail anymore. You, you want to text. Um, and uh, I also think... So do you guys do that? Do, you, do your ladies and gentlemen allow... We, we text our guests and we say, what time are you arriving? And it's, it's for us, that's... Ooh, what, do we, what do you mean we're texting? Do you pay for their cell phones? Their ladies and gentlemen know they use it on cell we, phones? Uh, <clears throat> yes, we have 275 uh, iPhones um, throughout the hotel and probably just as many just regular cell phones. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's the right thing. It's how you do business, how people connect. That's amazing. Uh, so, you know, and I, and I think that a lot of it is what, it doesn't matter what generation you're in or who you are. It is about those experiences. 
And to us, so for example, if you're in Orlando, you know, we're not on a Disney property. We're, we're 15, 20 minutes away from some of the properties, but we do a lot from the, uh, from the, the location. It's 500 acres, so we have echo tours, and we have fly fishing. We have, uh, we have a golf course. We have spa. We have a ropes course. We have a farm on property. Uh. We have all these. We, we try to take advantage of the local environment that we're in and really bring that to life because we want our guests to leave and say, yes, I stayed at a Ritz-Carlton, but look at all these amazing things that I did. And how do we create those moments? Because it's not about money, ladies and gentlemen. It's about if you're with your family or you're with a special someone, you want to leave and go, the experience I had was phenomenal. And, and that's, that's with the business that we're in. So generationally, I think that speaks to all generations. We obviously have to, to, to change how we do business, how we connect, and how we make sure that we do dust off that lion and crown so younger generations don't feel that we're stuffy old men. Yeah, that's good. In your culture, do you feel... <laughs> that's good. As I get older, we got everybody on the team. It wasn't directed to you, Pastor. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, let's get real. No. <laughs> now the tough questions. Let's talk about uh, feedback. Um, you know, one of the most difficult things in most organizations is, you know, we like to call it a culture of candor. I use the term bare wire. When I shut my door and I have my team in there, my team knows that we're going to have a bare wire conversation. That means we're just going to lay it out exactly the way it is. Talk to us, talk to us as a team about feedback in your organization. How do you receive feedback? Maybe first of all, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, among ladies and gentlemen, working with upper management, uh, and also feedback among uh, your guests. Well, we survey everyone. We use the Gallup organization to survey our guests and our meeting players. Uh, we also use uh, the Gallup organization to survey all of our ladies and gentlemen every year. Um, so we value feedback. Feedback is a gift. So every week we get information on feedback from our guests, and on a monthly basis we get a more detailed. What percentage of people do you think actually respond back? Now, you're maybe a little bit of an, an elite culture because if people stay. They'd be it's, more it's, not, it's not as much. We, we have, uh, let's see, we'll send out. Um, you know, we have 15 to 16,000 room nights on a monthly basis, and we'll typically get 400 or so responses uh, from individual guests. So it's a fairly small number, but statistically speaking, it, it's a val- it's a valid number. Um, but we also, you know, we also ask through. You know, we use this form called Mr. Biv, and Mr. Biv is. Uh, it's a form that says if you have feedback for us, like, for example, you checked into your room and your remote control didn't work or your hot water wasn't hot enough or your TV didn't work or you didn't like your hamburger in the restaurant, whatever it is, uh, we share that information because we use that to track defects uh, and find out what's going on in our guest's mind. Um, Obviously, from our ladies and gentlemen, we have an employee engagement survey, and every month we talk about how are we doing on our action plans and what what are you giving us. Uh, to, to provide feedback to us. We also, I sit down on a monthly basis and have roundtables. So I will have, for example, uh, last week I was there at 2 o'clock in the morning doing overnight roundtable with uh, seven of our ladies and gentlemen the overnight. Just t- how are things going? What's going on? What can I do to help you? Uh, and then leaders and supervisors and learning coaches mm-hmm. and ladies and gentlemen uh, who are very cross-functional. And we, 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 we get a lot of feedback. Um, but uh, and in some so cross-functional, cross-training, cross-training of roles and responsibilities. Well, more cross-functional from its, it might be a housekeeper, front desk agent, culinarian, uh, engineer, steward, groundsman, uh, groundskeeper. Uh, it's, it's individuals from all over the resort. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we get a lot of feedback, and sometimes it's overwhelming, but uh, we try to organize it into bite-sized pieces that we can work on it. It's all about taking this mass amount of information 
take the feedback and work on it. So we look, we, we work on the 20 that's going to get us the 80. So if it's the top five defects in the hotel, let's work on those fo- top five uh. defects. If it's uh, a chronic issue with the ladies and gentlemen, let's work on that chronic issue with the ladies and gentlemen. And let's not, let's not take 50 things and work on 50 things. Let's work on two or three things. Uh, and we subscribe to the, you know, you might have heard of uh, uh, Stephen Covey's um, um, The Wildly Important Goals. Well, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but uh, the... Um, um, uh, the wildly important goal um, phenomenon. So focusing on, you know, if you focus on 16 things, you're probably going to get nothing done. But if you focus on two or three, you're probably going to get two or three done. So we focus on doing just two or three things and doing them really, really, really well. well, fix it so it's a habit and a behavior, and then moving on to the next thing. Yeah, let's talk about kind of bring this up to a wrap here. We really, really are so honored that you're with us tonight. Hasn't done a great job. Come on, let's give him a great big... I mean, hopefully tonight, I mean, this applies to a local church, obviously, creating the wow factor, the uh, lasting impression, uh, going above and beyond, those kinds of things. They definitely, I mean, it's a, our local church experience. We strive to do that. Obviously, we all feel we could do that area uh, better probably in our areas. But this also relates to your Monday. I hope you understand that you take the principles here. This is uh, one of the finest hospitality industries uh, in the world. They actually go and uh, their corporation, their corporate structure, they go and train. Uh, I just read this week, they actually, Stanford University, their medical center, brought the Ritz-Carlton leadership team out to do training there. Some of the finest hospitals in the world, finest business organizations in the world. Some of these principles here, you apply them in your life, they'll help you succeed in everywhere you go. Creating awareness, creating a sense that when you leave a place, you leave it better than what you can and having that kind, of, uh, that kind of mindset about your life. As a Christian, we should strive to be the very best that we can be. As a follower of Christ, we want to honor God and honor people. And we do that as employees by serving with excellence, with integrity, by being the kind of person that you talked about, the golden rule, with being kind to people, treating people the way that we want to be treated. Those principles work everywhere they try. Right. All transferable. They're all transferable. Maybe just one thing you would leave with us as far as a local church. You know, you've been around here just for an hour now, not two hours, but uh, there's something that you kind of feel would help us. Just a, maybe one thing you think just kind of with our church culture um, going forward for us, something that we could take away today. Wow. Well, first of all, I love the energy in the room, so thank you for that. It's really, really fantastic. That's a pretty deep question. You know, but I, I, I go back and I tell my ladies and gentlemen quite often that when it go, when it's, if you can make someone else smile, so I, for example, I talk about recognition. And uh, when, you, when you pat someone on the back or you give them an attaboy or an girl, uh, it makes that individual feel really special. And at, at the end of the day, if, if, you, if we can finish the day, whether it's, um, someone who might be having a bad day or a colleague or a coworker or a family member. Um, and remembering, you, you know, you talked about it's not about, it's not about me, it's about someone else. And, you know, I, I sense that many of you that are in, in this room and some of the statistics that are up there and, and talking about what you do for your communities, you understand the importance of, of doing for others. And in my business, uh, it's the same thing. It's, it's how do I do for others, whether it's a lady or gentleman who is, um, a housekeeper that you know doesn't make a lot of money and might have two or three children and might be a single mother, and and how how can I what can I do and 
um, we have a nurse on property and a nurse practitioner and we have a wellness program and you know we have other opportunities that we can support them so to me it's about if I can make that individual's life a little bit better um, then it's going to benefit them and they're going to be more loyal they're going to be more passionate and they're going to be better uh, equipped to come to work and provide excellence so you know look I, I don't there's no silver bullet it's just if you take care of other people, they're going to come back and take care of you. And my business is all about taking care of other people, whether it's my ladies and gentlemen or whether it's my guests. Awesome. Come on. Let's give John McGavin a great big hand. Come on. Wow. Thank you. I'm going to have you just take a seat, John, here. I appreciate that. He left me his business card, too. Very nice. That's a nice card, man. You may be seated. We're going to finish up here. Uh, in just a moment, Pastor Glenn's going to come. You go back and tell the people that you serve with here at City Church, you missed the most incredible night. You just make them feel really bad, okay? <laughs> This has to be one of the most special nights that we've had in relationship to equipping you. To equipping you not only here in our local church, because really it is all about serving others. Isn't that right? Jesus said the greatest in my kingdom will become servant of all. And we recognize that as servants of Christ that we have a mission. And that mission is to demonstrate the love of God in tangible and practical ways. And next week, next week, kicking off Christmas season, uh, yesterday, or Friday, there was a group of us that went uh, to Heathrow elementary school and miss vicky elabusi for maybe i don't know maybe seven years now we've been doing it right six years six or seven years hito elementary school has partnered with city church and uh and the kids collect canned foods and and on friday we went over took a team we picked up the canned foods and i i told i told uh somebody that was with me i said for the moment i land at heathrow elementary because the only time i ever go to heathrow elementary is when i go pick up the food from the school the moment i go there i said the christmas bells begin to ring Holiday season is here. And people come into churches in holiday season for all kinds of experiences and all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they come because maybe their grandchild or their friend is in a Christmas program. Or like next week when we roll out the blue carpet, I read in your book, it said you guys don't call it red carpet anymore. They call it the blue carpet. But whatever it is, we roll out the carpet and we, we welcome VIP, very important people, into our church community. When we do that next week, we want to create a lasting impression. And we believe we have a a special benefit that you don't have. We have what we call the God factor. And uh, we have the God factor, and there is the tangible, the presence that you feel, the energy that we feel. We recognize is God's grace. It's the grace of God. And when people walk into this auditorium next week, and they sense the love, and they sense the kindness, and they sense the compassion, and we are ladies and gentlemen, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we treat one another with dignity and honor and respect, regardless of their class, regardless of their social economic background, no matter what station or place they find themselves in life, we treat them with dignity, honor, and respect, just like Christ. And uh, we're going to do that. And going into this Christmas season, I'm just expecting. I just I can see the water level of faith, the spirit of excellence. Listen, excellence is an ongoing battle. I mean, we have we have to fight for it. you. I mean, in every area of your life, whether it's your physical life, whether it's your spiritual life, whether it's your work life, whether it's the, keeping up your property, your car, the way your parents, your dress. 
I mean, whatever it is, it's it's a battle, and you have to stay on it. You got to continually be on it. And so, a night like tonight just helps us. Just helps us take that next step and just doing things a little better in our area of ministry: the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the hospitality, or the connection ministry, the discipling ministry, the worship team ministry. Whatever area of service we find ourselves in here at City Church, just to create that lasting impression with someone that we're ministering and serving to, just leaving that that sense that that sense that wow, there is those people. They really do care. Those people really do love. I, I was going to bring it tonight. It's a long letter, but I received a letter this week. I don't get very many letters anymore. Almost everything I get is by email. But I got a four-page letter. I got a four-page letter this week. And usually when I get a four-page letter, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I don't know if I want to read. I'm afraid to open them up. You know, I'm afraid to look at them. But this was a letter, and it started off, and it said, Pastor Eugene, thank you. And it went on to describe, tell me about his life. And honestly, I can't remember who this individual is, but uh, last month I sent out birthday cards. And I do out every month. I send out birthday cards. And he said, Pastor Eugene, I want you to know that the birthday card that you sent to me was the only birthday card that I've gotten in my life in the last 10 years said, I didn't get a birthday card from my mother. I didn't get a birthday card from anybody in my family. And he said, when I opened that card, he said, it touched me. And he said, someone really does care about me. I went, wow. That was a simple touch. A birthday card. Small little touch like that. Brought change. Brought compassion. Brought, brought a sense of somebody cares about me to one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can all do those little things. Those little things that make big differences. Leave lasting impressions. And as we serve others in our area of ministry, as we, as we demonstrate the compassion and the kindness of Jesus over these coming weeks and months, I would encourage you. You guys are an awesome group. This is the best church. This is the most incredible church that I've ever been part of in my whole life. There, amen. Give yourself a big hand. The diversity. I mean, the hard work. We have the hardest working church in this community. I guarantee you. We have more events, more functions. We serve more people. We, we, we do our very best to do whatever we can to make a difference in people's lives. And it's all because of you and what you've done and your part of this. And I want to say thank you. My wife and I, we love you. We love this church. We love what God's doing. Pastor Glenn's going to come. He's going to kind of give us an update, right? You're going to give us a little update on Operation Blessing. How many of you want to know how much money came in today? All right. Okay. Pastor Glenn's going to come. Hey, guys, can you roll that? I want everyone to see the video from last year. So, I mean, people weren't really paying attention. Let's watch that Operation Blessing video. I want you to check this out from last year. <laughs> 